Hello, everyone. You are tuned in to CK Huddle, the podcast that unpacks and simplifies complex money, accounting, and tax topics that impact the bottom line. I'm Ignatius L. Jackson, CPA, and my co-host is Eric Pierre, CPA. We are practicing CPAs with a knack for translating tax and accounting topics into a language that is easily understood. This podcast is for everyone, working professionals, household managers, retirees, business owners, professional athletes, boomerangs, college students, and yes, you. It's time to increase your money management IQ, so let's huddle up. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the CPA Huddle. This week, we have an exciting guest. This is Ignatius Jackson, CPA, here with my co-host, Eric Pierre, CPA. Hello. How are you doing? I'm very excited about the show, man. I am too. I am too. So we've had a couple of guests over the last few weeks, and this is a really special one because we're going to talk about athletics and a little bit about the NFL and how some of the things work from a finance and a tax perspective related to athletes. And so it's going to be a pretty awesome topic. We have a pretty uh, awesome guest as well here with us today. So just to give you a little bit about his background. So he did play in the NFL. He started out with the Carolina Panthers. They went on to the Baltimore Ravens, the Washington Redskins, the Arizona Cardinals for a couple of years, my home team here in Phoenix, Arizona, the Oakland Raiders, and ended his career with the Buffalo Bills. So some of his bigger contracts, it's like he got a couple, let's see, a three-year contract with the Cardinals for $9.5 million and a two-year contract with the Buffalo Bills for $9 million. And I may be missing some stuff there throughout the, the history here. I'm just going off of Wikipedia here. But <laughs> Lorenzo Alexander is our guest. Uh, Lorenzo, thank you for uh, joining us. When you were playing, how did you feel about people knowing what you were getting paid and then getting criticized for being called greedy, but nobody really knew the profit and loss of your owners? How did that make you feel? I mean, I I think it's something that you get used to. You know, obviously, uh, just growing up in general, you know, you never really ask somebody how much they make. And now you get to the NFL and and it's put out there publicly. And it's actually, uh, you know, a facade in a lot of ways because, you know, three years, $9 million, yeah, that may be what it what it's worth if you achieve all the escalators, the playing time incentives, the roster bonuses, right? You go to all the Pro Bowls that's on there. And that's just, the, and that's even, you know, before taxes that they even put that on there. So there's a, a, a misconception on actually how much that actually is um, because there's a lot of non-guaranteed dollars in that, in that total that they normally put out there. And so um, I think just in general, in addition to that, I think there's just a misconception that everybody's a millionaire, right? Because um, I can even remember, to your point, people assumed that I was in the NFL so that I was well, wealthy. Even as an undrafted guy, I even had a family member reach out to me one time and ask to borrow $100,000 for a business investment. Um, and so, you know, that's why I, I, you know, I messed around with Ignatius a little earlier because, you know, you put that out there. Oh, he got a little bread to him. Oh, let me see if I can now contact him or do I have a friend of a friend of a friend that may know him and so I can reach out and, and ask, uh, can he be my personal piggy bank? It's, it's hard because you have a lot of distrustful people out there that will try to take advantage of that, especially young guys trying to, you know, be a part of that, that NFL lifestyle. And then also obviously try to get some money out of you so they don't have to use any of their own money. No, and I think that's important that you you bring that up. And I'm glad you, you clarified that because it, it is a very common misconception out there where, you know, people don't understand all the costs that go into doing what you do. 
And it is a huge tax burden. It's going to get even worse if they kind of get their way with some of the tax law changes that you're talking about out there. Right. Um, and especially when you're in a particular place like New York, for example, where you ended your career, and those tax rates in New York are insane when you make over yeah. a million dollars a year. So, yeah, tell me about it. Yeah, there, I played there in California, you know, so um, I definitely understand that that burden itself. And then also, you know, while I was playing, the tax law did change significantly for me being able to write off some things as a W-2 employee to no longer be able to do that. Right. And it was, a, it was a significant, a significant shift in just, uh, you know, what I actually owe the government every year in, in tax dollars versus, you know, prior to the new tax changes where I was able to write off a significant amount of things that I needed to do in order to play the game of football. Correct. And I also believe that they changed the tax law towards the career where Players like you used to be, able to be paid as a corporation so you can get those deductions. And then yep. the tax law actually closed that loophole in part because he's, you know, the president's had a little personal tip in the NFL because they never let him in. That's why he's, that's the real reason why he's he targeted league. Ed. Oh, yeah. It had nothing to do with the, uh, <laughs> it's in fact, he tried to buy your team, the Buffalo Bills. Yep. And he couldn't do it. He didn't have enough cash to do it. He didn't have enough cash flow. So I get why he did it. But, you know, he can't play with the real big boys. That lets you know right there. When uh, when billionaires don't want you to be a part of that club, it's only for one reason. It's because you can't play with them. You don't have that pocketbook to mess with them. Yeah. <laughs> so I throw my little bit of shade at 45. <laughs> <laughs> you find it after all the years in the league. You have the right to say whatever you want, man. So, you know. Yeah. I guess my next question is, what made you want to be a football player? And when did you realize that you were good enough to play in the NFL? Because so many people as kids, you know, we all think that we're going to make the NBA, major baseball. But when did you right. really, and when was the moment that you knew you were going to be pro? Um, I don't know if I ever knew I was going to be pro. I mean, my, my initial goal was always just to get, get to uh, college. And that's what my mom and my uncle really instilled in me is, hey, let's get your school paid for. That way it was never about making it to the league, it was, you know, taking the first step first. And that was, you know, uh, uh, getting uh, college paid for because we couldn't afford it. And I was gifted enough, I think, at an early age, just to know, at least within the group of friends that I had to where I, I had the ability to do it. But we all know that there's a, you know, there's a long pathway and process in order to achieve even an academic scholarship, let alone talking about, you know, making it to the NFL. If I had to go back and maybe pinpoint a time that I knew that I could play in the league, it probably, would, probably wouldn't be until college. Because up until that point, my mindset was all about how can I get school paid for. And I had um, a couple of great games, you know, as a sophomore and a junior versus, you know, some of the top powerhouses back then, in the, which was then the Pac-10 versus SC and UCLA and Stanford. And, uh, you know, as you're around that environment and you have upperclassmen getting drafted and, and being scouted, uh, you hear, you know, rumors and rumblings and even have some encounters with scouts that at least, you know, put in your mind that you have the ability to at least have an opportunity to play at the next level. So it probably was during that time frame where I really knew I had an opportunity and chance in order to play at the next level. Because honestly, I mean, if you go back and I look at all the dudes that I grew up with out of Oakland, the talent that was in that era of when I was coming up, I was I was not at the top of that list as far as just athletic ability and, and just proudness. A lot of cats, you know, fell victim to the street, um, didn't have the structure and the support they needed, you know, especially when you think about the, the late 80s, early 90s and, and the crack epidemic and what that did to a lot of our, our communities, our black communities. Just a lot of talent never cultivated, the way, never was cultivated the way it should be just because the environment grew up. And that's why I give 
so much homage to my mom and my uncle and the countless coaches that really made sure that I stayed on the straight and narrow as much as possible in order to be, be able to realize uh, some of my dreams and, and utilize these gifts that I've been given. Yeah, in fact, uh, I'm, I'm a little familiar with Oakland. In fact, for you to make it pro, there was a lot of time of people, you, I know uh, Jason Kidd's from there, Gary Payton, CeCe Sabathia. Did you play with Marshawn yeah. in college? Yeah, Marshawn is, was a freshman when I was at college. Marshawn, I mean, Dontrell Willis. I mean, it's, it's a ton of guys. Then it's a ton of guys that, you know, made it to, to college out of Oakland and just, you know, never made it. I mean, Dante Marsh, he played 13 years in the CFL. I mean, the Shavings brothers, they end up going up to Washington State. This is a ton of guys. Uh, T.J. Ward is from the area. D.J. Williams is from the area. Maurice Jones-Drew is from the area. So we have a lot it's a, and a lot of guys. And it's and it's way more than that. Just in that probably eight-year period, you know, four years either side of me, that we had guys coming through. And we all pretty much grew up together, whether it's playing Babe Ruth baseball or playing, uh, you know, literally or Pop Warner or AAU basketball, and we all kind of crossed paths at some point in our youth sports career. And I guess one question I want to ask, just kind of off topic, you, you know, you played in the NFL for a while, and you had, when you got your first big contract, did you buy anything crazy that you were <laughs> back that you're willing to share? I mean, no, I, I didn't. I didn't buy anything crazy. I think my biggest expense outside of, you know, buying a house probably, and then, I, you know, I bought a, a car and stuff too, but it was probably my wife's wedding ring and I mean even then I was trying to find a deal and, and got a good hookup it was still expensive but <laughs> I found a way you know and, and for me being undrafted it was always understanding that the next year really the next day wasn't promised to me so I had that mindset going in and I think that helped me out a lot when it came to spending my money and be able to save and put things away and start creating some legacies for our kids and, and things of that nature but yeah the, the, yeah so I'm not a big spender I like watches but what I, what I found is, you know, you have cats that go out there and buy the $10,000 watches or, the, you know, they have the $50,000 chains on. You know, I, I, used to, I used to fake it, you know, fake it till you make it is how I grew up. So, you know, I buy a nice $250 watch, right? And because of who I am and what I do, people assume it's five grand or 10 grand. But no, it's 250 and I just keep it rocking. You know what I mean? So I'm going to allow you to assume it. And, and, you know, and if you ask me, I'll let you know where I got it and how much it costs. But, you know, I'll let them uh, figure that out. I yeah, love yeah. that. I love that. That's awesome. You remind me of a family member that's well-to-do. He bought – he has a nice watch, uh, one of his high-end ones, but he bought it used. On, in every big city, there's actually uh, a place you can buy those $50,000 watches used for a fraction yeah. of the price. And you don't – you can't even tell it's used because the jeweler does a great job right. of cleaning and most people who's gonna know it's used i mean you gonna examine it i mean you know most people don't even know that hey i actually got a homeboy that still gives me a lot of uh crap about like when i first got in the league you know hey man what you gonna get what you gonna buy kind of to your point man and i was uh we was in a shoe store are you gonna get them jays and i was over on the back in the day at footlocker they had that two for 89 like man i'm about to give me two pairs of shoes but like $89. Yeah. And he still gives me a hard time for that, man. At two for 89s, I was in the league on the two for 89 wall. I said, man, hey, man, I'm going to get me two. You know, this is how how I, how, how you go about it. So um, I was just always fearful of being a guy that, and we all hear about him, right? You you make it, or it's assumed, I hadn't made it quite yet, but you, and you make this amount of money and then you leave with nothing, right? And so I always thought of it as having a head start in life because most 22, 
through 30 year olds, you're grinding that if you're in the real world, right? Trying to make partner, trying to move up, get those promotions. And you really don't really accumulate wealth into probably mid thirties, late forties. You know, if you're doing on the normal track of things and you may 35, maybe a little uh, young for that um, in, the, in the real world. And so I always wanted to come out with some type of nest egg that I could at least start and transition Fortunate if I was able to play 15 and, 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 and be in a position where I don't have to work. But that was always my mindset um, because the last thing I wanted to do is put all all this stuff on the line as far as my body. Uh, you know, obviously uh, my mentals, as, as Marshawn would say, and then walk, <laughs> walk away from the game, you know, beat up physically and stuff like that and not have the ability to transition well as far as having a cushion, do things for my kids that I wanted to do. And so I always had that mindset. And even a guy like Marshawn, as, as much as his perception would say he was bad with his money, he was very smart, very intelligent. And, you know, this cash from Oakland, man, we, we hustlers and we figure that things out and, and what we want to be able to do when we're done and, and very smart. Um, and, and, and a lot of this is being around great people and, and figuring out things from veterans and how the way they did it. And I was lucky in, in that regard as well. So who influenced you to have the discipline that you have? Because, you know, when I played in the, I I, I played pro ball in the ABA. Okay. You make $1,000 in a weekend. And they, they go to Flux here in San Diego and blow it. I just, you know, it just blew my mind. I, I had a father that was a CPA, so that's where I learned my discipline. Who influenced you to be that discipline when most people in our community, their athletes and get that fast money are not that disciplined? Who taught you? I would have to say my uncle, he, you know, he was a father, a husband, he was a high school football coach. And so he was also a, a correctional officer. And so he, I mean, he understood the value of a dollar, you know, being able to, he started an apartment, having kids and eventually be able to purchase his home in Oakland. And so he knew what he had to do. He knew how hard it was. And so I watched that growing up and, and saw how intentional he was with his money in that process. You know, we also had those conversations that a lot of us don't have. And I still was just scratching the surface. Mm -hmm. of my financial, I guess, uh, IQ. And I'm still, you know, trying to learn and grow because there's just so many things out there that people approach you with or things that you need to understand, you know, even like in the, in the tax world, you know, all these different caveats that just people in my community don't know because they never had enough money to know or should know or why do I need to know because I can't exercise any of those benefits that I'm still kind of learning, right? And so even being with, with Ignatius over this past I don't know, maybe six to eight months and still starting to learn some things and him bringing up things and challenging me where priorly, even though my CPA was doing the stuff that he did, he wasn't he wasn't trying to educate me along the way. And so I've also taken that a little bit, reading some more books. And so I can under, at least have a grasp of it. I'm not going to be an expert in it because I didn't go to school. I don't practice every day. But I at least want to have a general understanding. And if I don't know, I'm going to ask a question. And we even had a meeting yesterday, you know, with financial advisor, uh, with Ignatius and just just throwing off different perspectives and ideas about how I can best position myself and my family for the future. Right. And we don't have those conversations enough either because we are, you know, don't have it or, or insecure about asking for help, but I, I, I don't really care. I know I don't know everything and I want to be around people that do so that I can have that education. I can put my family in the best position. And then from there start putting other people in my circle. Um, it's been a couple of conversations that we've had and I've went like, Hey man, are you doing this? You know, are, are you not? Or you might be want to look into it or we may have like a quick conversation with some of my other peers just to start getting them on that path as well. And those are the conversations, obviously, that's been sparked here of late by everything that happened during the pandemic. But we got to continue that 
right? As we continue to get further and further away from the, the ignition of, of what happened during the pandemic and just continue to help uh, uplift our community. Absolutely. And I, I, you know, what you're talking about is something that's near and dear to my heart. And it's something that we've talked about on this show on several occasions. And one of the reasons why in this country, we have such a huge wealth disparity between, you know, whites versus all the other minority or, you know, races that are out there. The blacks, the Latinos, uh, the Asians are actually doing pretty good too, but right. definitely the blacks and the Latinos. So, and it's just because, like you said, we, we either don't talk about it or we're kind of, we're, our mindsets are just, you know, uh, we're built that way growing up. That's how we, 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 we grow up. Our families never really discuss it. And it's something that's really important. You know, the more and more you talk about it, the more and more it becomes common nature, the better I think we're going to be. And you, you start to make those smarter decisions, like you said, with you know not going out there and getting that $50,000 uh, necklace or, or, or chain or whatever you want to call it. I mean, that just doesn't make any sense. Like I'm the, you, you, I call it kind of that Warren Buffett mentality in a sense, right? He still right. is in the same house he bought decades ago. And, you know, even though he's a freaking multi-billionaire, can definitely afford a mansion, you know, he's, he's living his lifestyle the way that he wants to live it and not spending a ton of money. So my follow-up to something that kind of a segue into, you know, what we were, you were just talking about, I got two questions. The first one would be, if you can give us a little bit of an idea of some of the things that you did to invest your money to maybe some others might hear it and kind of get a little intrigued by it and maybe right. change their, their mindset. And then the second part of that would be, you know, if you kind of look around, I know you, I believe you're involved in the uh, players association as well right. to some extent. So, you know, if you kind of look around in, in within the league, what would you say the percentages of people who, you know, are actually doing things the right way versus, you know, just kind of wasting their yeah. money. Kind of put the truth to that stereotype that might be out there that yeah. basically all athletes just waste their money on foolishness. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. I, and I would say, you know, to that, to, to the latter question, right. You got a whole bunch of young folks trying to figure things out. I, and I don't know the percentages, right. But I know it's, it's on the lower end of guys doing it the right way. And in a lot of ways it's justifiable because if you are parent at all and you have, a child or a, a young lady, young man that's in college, right? And you give, you wouldn't give them $50,000 right now, right? And so, because, and I don't care if they come from a wealthy family or not, you're just not going to make smart decisions. And so you have some of that that occurs, right? And as veterans you um, in the locker room, I would always try to facilitate those questions. If I hear like a conversation kind of going on, I would then interject myself and just ask questions, right? Not necessarily tell them what to do but oftentimes we just ask questions like why'd you buy that or what was that for what's the value in that in five years and they start answering it and they kind of answer get to the you kind of lead them to where you want to get them like oh yeah that was maybe that was a little stupid of, of me to do um i know also the nfl and the pa also have rookie symposium classes that's for the the year where they kind of take people through just general life and things that you need to understand when it comes to finances uh, you know, how much you should be saving versus spending, right? Taxes, but it's very superficial. So you're really just scratching the surface with a lot of these things, but it's, it's at least something to give them substance. Now past that, a guy would have to really, unless he already has like a passion to become a CPA or, or a financial planner or something like that, a guy would have to really take it upon himself to continue to learn. And so most guys do have financial guys, right? They do have a system set up with the PA where guys are at least vetted 
Like this, this guy's, you know, doesn't have any lawsuits. He hasn't been convicted before. And you can kind of pick from that list. Um, and even with that list, you know, obviously everything is not created equally. And so there is a growth process through this. The, 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 the hard thing with that is, is because most guys are done in three years. You haven't had time to mature and kind of work through with some of the adversity. Right. And so it, it seems and appears worse because you've been given a lot of money. You know, most guys, if you play three years now, you have at least uh, netted one point five. Million dollars with a rookie minimum being around 500, 550, maybe a little bit more than that, which is a significant amount of money, more money than my mom probably has ever made. But yeah. you're still right. immature and young and trying to understand how do you use money. And so you're going to make mistakes. And it's just the natural process, right? You see that with lawyers and doctors, they do the same thing, right? And they're educated. And you see this, it's yep. the same mindset. So that's the hard thing about professional sports. As you're starting to figure things out and mature, you may be out the league already. And you've and you've almost wasted an opportunity in a way um, just because you're trying to grow through some things. And so you try to mitigate those with all the resources, you know, maybe trying to hire a financial advisor. But it is hard. There's also some benefits on the NFL side as far as like your funnel 401k that um, you can match up to. I mean, you can put in 20 grand in the NFL and match up to 20. Uh, so it's a little bit of free money on the table. Um, once you become vested, you get a severance where you, um, I, I forget the, the calculation, but once you're done, times the many years that you've played, you get a lump sum check. There's also some annuities, um, a couple of different annuities uh, as well that the NFL puts in there in your account once you become vested. But again, once most guys only play three years, so you may only have one year of contributions to that. And so it's not going to be a, a, a significant amount of money, but it's at least something. And then if you're fortunate to be a guy like myself or like a Tom Brady type, you know, you have this significant amount of money that the NFL is, you know, putting in your account, you know, because a lot of times people just think about what the player share is. They just think about salary cap dollars now, but that benefit money is, you know, is obviously legacy money yeah. that's going to be there later to kind of bridge that gap whenever you decide to retire and in between careers trying to make it to, you know, retirement. So, um, there's a couple of uh, tools that we can use there as well to help us. And we had that conversation yesterday. What's the best way to use that money once we're able to access it um, in, in order to you know, maintain lifestyle, enjoy your life, but also create uh, generational wealth and impact for, for my kids. And I have four of them. That's awesome. I, I actually didn't know that they gave you guys um, a, a training. How? How long is that? Is that like a day session? Yeah. So if you're hours? if you're a rookie, it is it's the entire year. And I think those guys normally meet on Monday or Tuesday. And then they it's, it goes through from OTA. So they normally take whenever they get drafted. So let's say uh, from May all the way through that following season. So all the way through uh, whenever your season's over. So let's so say January is when the regular season's over. You have like weekly meetings. And they'll cover different things, whether it's financial taxes, mental health. Uh, just a variety of life skills that you need to understand and learn to become a, you know, just a healthy, mature young adult. So when you're making these decisions, right, you have uh, some foundation and maybe a little bit of, of wisdom on what's the best choice to make. So you're not out there blowing money, knowing that tomorrow's not really promised. Is that the symposium where Chris Carter made the, I know you weren't a rookie that year, but suppose he made a comment telling players to have a fall guy if they get arrested. Is that what did he, what did he say? I think he said something about having a fall guy if you get in trouble. <laughs> you said Chris Carter made that? Yeah, I yeah, think that yeah. was at a Ricky Symposium. They don't do it in that traditional sense anymore where it's like three or four days down in San Diego. They've actually disbanded that program and leave it up to the clubs 
to do their own kind of uh, rookie programming with within house. So, but yeah, that's that's where they used to bring guys in from the Chris Carter's who's been in trouble, you know, the Michael Vick, and kind of talk about some of the bad decisions that they may have made and the consequences that came with it. But yeah, you know, so, and obviously everybody's advice isn't created equally. But yeah, instead, you know, that's instead of making, hey, let's not even put our situation ourselves in those situations. Let's minimize those times, I right? I can be uh, come up with a fall guy, yeah. Come on now. <laughs> symposiums, do you, in your opinion, now that you're away from the NFL, do you think the NFL has done enough to help at least give players resources, awareness to not lose their money, in your opinion? Uh, I, I think they have created infrastructure for it to be at a high level, right? And so each team does it differently. And so, like, when I was in Buffalo, they really cared about it, and they did it at a high level. Now, you may be at another organization uh, where they don't – they just do it, but it's not really with the intent to improve it. So they just, you know, fulfilling the requirements that the NFL has created. But you go through the program, you're like, man, I didn't really learn nothing. You know, just a handout worksheet and let me say five words to you, and then, hey, we're done with the meeting. Now go about your business, right? So it is – a little bit of both. It just depends on what team you're lucky enough to get to. But the NFL, in my opinion, does things like that just to uh, give themselves uh, a way out, right? Like we did this for them. We created this structure. But on a league national level, I don't think they really care because at the end of the day, if they have players that are in um, financial adversity or strain, they actually have leverage on those type of guys, especially if it's a premier player when it comes down to negotiation. Because you'll have some some star players, hey man, I'm hurting, I can't even get to my my next check. I gotta pay, you know, X, Y bill, my mortgage, whatever it may be, my lifestyle, right? And the clubs know this, that they're very aware of the guys that overspend and aren't doing right and maybe have a, a couple of kids that have child support. And they're going to utilize all of that when it comes down to negotiating your deal and lowball you and say, well, I know you need this. So you take this um, because I know you can't make it until you maybe become a free agent. And so uh, I, it's, and that's why I know from a, a league level, they do it to cover themselves. But at the end of the day, they, they manipulate whatever situation they're in, regardless, you know, uh, of a guy's because of a guy's financial situation. Mm -hmm. Did you uh, when you played? Did you ever have to restructure and take less money after you signed your initial contract? No, I was I was never uh, I was never that guy. You know, I, I made some good money. I had some good contracts, but I never had to renegotiate. Now I got cut, you know, because I didn't have guaranteed money, and they thought I was getting old, and didn't think I was going to you know be able to bounce back from an injury that I I endured. Uh, so I've been cut because of my contract number was too big, but never asked to. They didn't see value to keep me around and renegotiate. Re Normally they do that with guys where um, they want to keep around and and because they really bring great value, you know, they can't do without. And even then, they're, they're all they're doing is just moving money around, you know. So in the NFL, your is, is something that's called the cap, right? And your signing bonus versus your base, right? So your base hits all in that year. So if you have a 10000 let's say a $10 million base salary all that goes against the salary cap that year but let's say i want to renegotiate with you and i want to lower my salary cap so that i can sign another player 
Um, I can ask you, hey, let's renegotiate. Hey, I want you to take your base down to five million and we're going to give you the other five million in a signing bonus. Now that signing bonus is split off and let's say it's a two year deal to make it easy, math. You For calculations for the salary cap, it'd be your five million dollar base plus a two and a half million because your, your, your signing bonus is split off, off the life of your deal. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. now it's your, your, your uh, cap number would be seven and a half million for that given year, saving the club two and a half million dollars on cap. And if you want to sign a veteran player at the, at the minimum that may allow you to do that, or maybe another middle tier player at a one year, $2 million deal. And so that's often how, why people renegotiate and not necessarily taking less they're just really helping the club out, spread out money over over uh, maybe a couple of years versus all hitting that one season. So when fans hear the term dead money, that's the signing bonus that's been spread out. Because if I recall, the signing bonus is guaranteed. They have to pay that to you. So if they cut you and you owe that bonus, it's still paid to you, but it's dead money because you're not on a team and it's on the books. That right. That out. as well as any guaranteed money that you have in those years. So within your base salary, let's say that five million dollars, I could I could have it all guaranteed or I could have two and a half million of it guaranteed. And so I'm owed that money, you know, and a lot of guys will get that versus um, skill, uh, skill, injury and cap. So no matter whatever reason that you decide you want to move on from me, you owe me that two and a half million of that five million in my base. And let's say year two or three of a deal. OK, gotcha. So uh, going back, to, I know we kind of glossed over one of my questions earlier, so I just want to kind of touch back on that. <laughs> yeah, one. yeah, yeah. No, I kind of kept going. <laughs> no worries. It's all good. What are some examples of, you know, maybe some investments that you made that worked out and maybe some that uh, didn't quite work out? Um, maybe somebody can learn a little bit from some of your potential mistakes you may have made. Um, I've always been fairly conservative when it came to, uh, investing my money. So me and my financial advisor, we always treated myself like I was, you know, 60 and I was going to be retiring in the next three or four years. So we've always had a pretty much balanced portfolio. And, you know, I can only get, you know, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, those type of things. You know, when I was a rookie, I had a Roth IRA because I was making enough money or making money that still allowed me to qualify for something like that. Um, as far as Investments, uh, we decided to, to go into business with a teammate and we did a Pilates studio uh, one year. Uh, we really got into that. Thought I was going to be with the team for a significant amount of time. And then I think maybe a year later, maybe two years later, I was gone. I went to Arizona and now I had this business that was in another state that we owned. And, and if you, you know, any type of service business, you have to be in there an instructor, right, to really maximize uh, the profits in the growth of that business. And right. so that's something that I probably would not do again. You know, it was, it was more of, uh, of my, my wife wanting to get into that. And so because we left and moved, um, it was just, it was too hard, too strained, and we ended up losing on that. Not not too crazy because we went and kind of shared it with, with a teammate. But um, that's something that I think we would probably rethink and really see what we want to do versus kind of falling in love with the idea instead of really kind of, game planning like what does this look like think about okay what if we do get traded or what if we do end up on another team in free agency those are some of the things that i really didn't think about going into it um and probably would have been much better off you know probably getting uh, invested in like real estate or something of that nature during that time of, of my career 
That's a really good point. And frankly, that's a good point. Even if you're not an NFL player, you know, and you're going into a business, you know, with a partner and things like that, it's really important to me. And I know I advise my clients, I'm sure Eric, the same thing that you really have a good business plan on the onset. And you actually think about all these different scenarios that could potentially happen because ultimately that's going to be the, the long-term success of the business is if, you know, everybody's on the same page you guys right. have that plan of attack. The finances obviously make sense based on what it is that's going on. Um, and, and even knowing like, when do you know if it, if you want to continue to do it or if you want to just call it quits because it's not working financially, you know? Um, so those are all really important things to think about. So I'm glad you brought that up. That's good. A good topic. Yeah. No, Lorenzo, thank you uh, for sharing that. And it sounds like you, you didn't get sucker to some of the things that I remember watching from the 30 for 30 broke. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was, that's hard to watch too. Cause guys work so hard and then you trust yeah. people with your money. Um, but I've said no an awful lot. You know, I've been approached by a lot of different people to do business deals. Um, you know, fortunately for me, none of my financial advisors have ever taken advantage uh, to that extent. Um, you know, I think some of these guys, you know, kind of hide their fees at times. And so that's something else for just people in general, when you have a, with a financial advisor, understanding how they operate, how do they make their money? Um, because me and my wife noticed with our first one that, you know, just making trades and because he gets a commission off of stuff and he's saying that we get one thing, meta fees, and, and it really is a, a total different number when you really break things down. So, you know, kind of off of that, uh, things that I did poorly, I think I would have been more astute. And this is this things you have to learn that, yes, this dude is a professional, but at the end of the day, it's my money and I need to be reviewing, you know, the documents, looking at it. And if I see any discrepancies, asking questions. I think much like our agents, as far as professional athletes in that realm, we almost feel there's almost a culture or feel like you work for them in some ways when they really work for you. And so as a young man, sometimes that's hard or a young lady, that's really hard to kind of stand up for yourself and, and, and be that CEO of your business, right? Of your brand and call people out and, hey, what's this? Why is that over there? Um, and so that's something that I, I just encourage young people to do if you happen to be in that position. Uh, you know, if you got to check your guy, check him, ask him questions, you know, put him up against the fire because you are paying them for a service. And this is at the end of the day is going to impact uh, your family and then also diversify, right? Never do anything in house. I think that's something else that I um, messed up. My CPA initially and my financial advisor were, were cool. Not that that, that's a, that could be an issue, but I think like I have this kind of set up now, you know, Ignatius and, and Jason are, are two different entities, companies that kind of separate. And I was even on a call with Ignatius the other day and he said, man, what is this big, this is a big loss, right? I was like, oh, okay, that's what that is. So the next day I actually called Jason, like, what is it? You know what I mean? So I have him and explain it to me where if they were, you know, buddy, buddy, maybe he just kind of breezes over it because he knows Jason too. And it's, it doesn't become something that he wants to, uh, you know, red flag me about. So I think, you know, that, that's just another tip, a tip that I would give people that as you get into it, that you try to diversify the companies that you work with and making sure your CPA and, your financial advisor are not necessarily friends or work with the same, you know, uh, company. No, I, I agree with you there. And it's, it's really, we have talked about that a lot as well uh, on this, on this program and on this podcast, because uh, we often, especially with tax returns, I can tell you nine out of 10 clients probably don't even look at their tax returns. 
um, and don't ask us a question, right, Eric? When you say, yeah, that, oh, no. I mean, and, and obviously, I've asked you questions, but that was learned because I've been burned. Yeah. <laughs> so, and yeah. once you've been burned, man, you let like, man, man, what is this, man? I want to make sure I pay this. I don't want this coming back yeah. in two or three years. Yeah. And they talking about I owe them triple this and and all this fees they want to throw it in interest. I, hey, hey, what is this? What is that? I need to know. Come on. <laughs> I got a question because, you know, I know that now you're working, you know, you're working with a great CPA, Loren, um, Ignatius. Sorry, I know you guys don't look alike. That's not bad. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but when you were in the league, did you, because I know an NFL agent and I'm not going to say which one here, but one thing he told me he was concerned about was that the agent, he told me that as an agent, he seems to have a lot of influence in the players. Were agents influencing players on who they pick as a CPA and financial advisor? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I mean that. I mean that happens all the time. I mean, you, you, you buddy buddy with somebody, you always go, you know normally gonna refer your friend, even though he may not be the best fit for your client and may not be the most knowledgeable or the best person that's out there. So yeah, I mean that is an issue, and there's no real way to stop that outside of trying to educate the player. But again, it's, it's, it's hard because, you know, at 21, 22, 23, you really tr- you've hired your agent because you trust them or, yeah. or most likely you wouldn't be with them. So when he refers somebody, you assume it's the best person and you just kind of go along with it without even asking it too many questions about it because you haven't been in that situation. It's a learning process. And some people are better at it than others. Some people have parents, right, that are, have been through it. So if, if my son, you know. Buyer beware, you know, any agents or financial advisors that, you know, come in contact with my kids if they're able to make it that far, because I've been through it, you know, they're going to go get put through the ringer pretty much before I I would advise my kids to go with a a person, you know, financial advisor or agent or whoever it may be, uh, just because I've been through it. And And that's part of what we're trying to create, right? Not only are we trying to create generational wealth, but I think generational knowledge and wisdom so that we can position ourselves in the best way with people by asking the correct questions and at least have some type of experience that maybe our parents or some other friends have went through so that we can kind of miss some of this crap that that happens just because we didn't ask a one or two questions. Because most people will discredit themselves if you ask the right ones after a quick conversation, you're like, I don't, I don't, I don't really got a feel for this dude. Let me, let me move on. But we don't know what to ask. So you know, they can fake it until, until you really figure it out. By that time, it's too late. Follow up to that. Do you think it's that's caused by maybe the majority of the players coming from backgrounds where, you know, their parents just never had a need to have a CPA or right. financial advisor because they didn't, they didn't come from money and they just don't know anybody. And so they basically go with whoever the agent suggests. Is that yeah, it's, it's a lack of, you know, institutional knowledge. You know, the same thing you see when you have first generation kids go to college just don't know how to work or kind of maneuver through that that space because you're the first one doing it. So in a lot of ways, you know, we're the guinea mm-hmm. pig, the pioneer, and it's really not to our kids or the next generation or the, or the community that we serve when we come back home where we can at least spread the wisdom and knowledge and, and help them. So somebody has to go through it. You know, you hate to see it, especially when you have guys that are so gifted and have accumulated and, and, and achieved their dream, and then they almost have to go through this hardship so everybody else can benefit. And that and that's and that's the hard part that you that you have to see. But you know, that's kind of how life works. And and I know a couple of those guys have been my close friends, but at least they're utilizing their experience to help empower other other young people so that they don't have to go through that same that same um type of experience. 
I definitely agree with you. I was fortunate to be raised by a CPA. I grew up upper middle class in Katy, Texas. So I had a good financial back. And so that when I started making a little bit of money, I didn't blow it all. But you also remind me of um, Alan Iverson. He had a friend that had to set up that trust to keep him from losing all because <laughs> right. he said, where I'm from in Hampton Roads, nobody lives past uh, 45. Right. And I guess my question to you, because we're getting close to the end, what advice would you give to a young person that's look, that has an opportunity to play college in the NFL? What would you advise them to help avoid the pitfalls? Oh, man. I mean, it's, it's so many things. I think you, you have to have a growth mentality, right? A growth mindset. And, and a lot of that comes easy in our sport and whatever, we, whatever we're really skilled and gifted at. And a lot of those um, characteristics, you know, whether it's uh, accountability, leadership, hard work, all those, you know, just gifts and mindsets that you that you have developed in your sport. Don't just leave them in your sport. Right. So also be accountable, be a great leader, be want to learn in your academics as well as finances and, and some of the other things that are going to play a huge part if you feel like you're going to, I mean, regardless if you're going to play ball, but if you, especially if you feel that, because you're going to get a, a lot of money really quickly. And I think as athletes, we leave a lot of these characteristics that make us great in our sport with our sport. So first, don't put yourself in a box. Use your gifts and abilities and your mindset in everything that you do Two, you got to be humble right it's always something that you can learn never think that you've made it to a point to where nobody can't tell you anything even if they don't have necessarily all the credentials and letterings that come after their name right because there's a lot of great people that have done some things or like myself i don't have cpa after my name but i may be able to offer you some some advice that you can then go ask your cpa so don't allow the credentials to to validate somebody's speaking to you then lastly, it, it always comes down to having great people around you. You have to have a team of people that you trust, know, that, that have been vetted to really help you go through that process. Um, and I always, you know, looking for mentors, whether it's in the locker room or in the college atmosphere. And then if you're in school still, not only are you looking for like upperclassmen to kind of help you, how do you navigate the college experience, but then you're also interacting with your professors and other classmates outside of ball, because those are relationships that are going to become fruitful outside of whatever sport you may be in at that time, just in general. So uh, there's a lot of just great people I've met along the way through that, through my experience that once I retired, because my identity from my perspective and their perspective wasn't merely like he's just a football player. It was beyond that because they've gotten to know me as a man and a human being and what I did in the community. They were still, hey, man, that's my boy. Hey, well, how can we work together now that you're no longer playing ball? And so I've had other doors open up. And so I think utilizing kind of those three principles will at least put you in a position where you can be successful or maximize it or find the answer if you're struggling in the area to really get you over the hump. Okay. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Surrounding yourself with the right people. I think is essential and key. And that's no matter what you do, not even just athletes or, I mean, anybody, you know, you are right. around yourself with. And if you're in the wrong crowd, but your lifestyle changes, guess what? Your friends should probably change too. Because yeah. if you stay in that same crowd, you're going to keep making the same mistakes and you're never going to get to the place that you want to be at. So I think that's a perfect way to end the podcast. I don't know, Eric, that's a good question to kind of end on. Did you have anything else you want to kind of say real quick? Yeah, I, I got one quick question. Okay. Lorenzo, you know, now that you're retired, 
What do you miss about the NFL? Is it the locker room, the games? What is it that you miss? It's the people. I mean, that's what it comes down to. I mean, life is about doing building great relationships, right? And impacting people and how they impact your lives. So from my teammates to people that were, you know, physical therapists, trainers that I really got to know over the course of my career, that's what you miss. And I was fortunate enough to play long enough to where I got tired of the game because, you know, most of like we said in the beginning of this, most guys' careers end after three years. They're not finished. They haven't given everything that they have to the game yet in the game, but the game is done with them. And that often is how our careers end. And so I'm very grateful that I was able to walk away from it. And so people always ask me, you missed the game? I'm like, no, because I knew how I was going to feel on Monday. I don't, I don't miss that at all. You know, I let somebody else go down and some other young man go down in and run through 300 pounders and then try to tackle a return. They can have it. I, I, you know, I live my life. I live it to the full and uh, have no regrets, but not being around those guys who we, you know, we did life together, you know, raised our kids together. Mm -hmm. um, that Those are the relationships that you miss because it's not quite the same because you're not with them. You're not in the, in the same environment with them every day. So you may talk to a guy maybe once or twice a year when you will see him every single day. And so that's been the hardest shift uh, for me, from a personal standpoint, you know, walking away from the game a couple of years ago. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Lorenzo, for joining us for today's podcast episode. It's been a pleasure speaking with you, uh, learning a little bit about your history, your experience, uh, some of your financials and, and things of that nature. So thanks for again for coming on. I appreciate you, brothers. Yeah. Thank you, Lorenzo, for coming on today. Thanks for uh, wearing the silver and black, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Any day, man. All right, everybody. So uh, thanks for listening in today to the CPA huddle. This has been another wonderful episode. Uh, again, we had Lorenzo Alexander here with us today, retired NFL football player, talking about some finances and taxes for athletes. And so if you ever need any assistance, let's say you're a current player and you're looking for some help, both Eric and I are perfectly happy to you know assist you. And uh, I'm sure Lorenzo, if you reached out to him, would be happy to chat with you a little bit about more about his experience as well. So thanks for uh, listening in and we will talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening to CPA Huddle. Add us to your listening rotation by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. Follow CPA Huddle across all social media platforms. And for more information about the services provided by our firms, check us out at www.iljcpa.com or www.pierreaccounting.com. We will be back to huddle up soon.